Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 80, and we're switching things up on this episode. This is the Chris Carter episode, as the former Ohio State Buckeye and NFL legend only caught touchdowns. And speaking of football, it's a great time to remind you all, Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, I'll start with you for opening tip. All right. Thanks, Russ. Good evening, fellas. You know, I was listening to Sirius XM NBA radio on Monday morning, and Stephen A. Smith was on with Frank Isola and Brian Scalabrini, and he talked about how disgusted he is with Zion Williamson. Now, I've frequently questioned Zion's motivation to be great, mostly due to his lack of conditioning and frequent injuries. But Stephen A. absolutely shredded him. He called him fat. He quoted members of the Pelicans organization saying Zion eats the table and that every chef in New Orleans wants to know him because they all know he'll come to their restaurants. Thursday, Zion was basically a no-show as the Pelicans lost to the Lakers in the semifinal game of the in-season tournament. In the second and third quarters, the Lakers outscored the Pelicans 81-41 to with LeBron outscoring Zion 24-7 to during that stretch. Now, if a so-called max guy like Zion is going to disappear like that on the big stage and be outplayed by someone who's, you know, old enough to be his father, even someone as great as LeBron James, he really needs to look in the mirror. He's listed at 6'6 and 284 pounds, and we know he loves to play above the rim. He needs to drop a ton of weight, at least 30 to 40 pounds, and possibly even learn to control his explosive moves to avoid unnecessary wear and tear on his lower body. Some fans look at his numbers and praise his greatness, but numbers can only take you so far. I look at him with my eye test, and I see a guy who can be great, but a guy who needs to show he wants to be great. Totally agree with you there, Bruce, and I think the most disappointing Part of Zion in his performance in Vegas was just the lack of energy in that Lakers game. And uh, that has nothing to do with your size, right? I mean, that's just motivation and heart. So um, I get the criticism, but uh, I don't think we need to state the obvious anymore with some of the body shaming. So totally agree there. World B. Are you muted, World B? World B, I think you're on mute. There are reports that Bradley Beal is going to return to the Suns lineup this Tuesday after missing 12 games because of a back problem. We're two weeks from Christmas, and the Suns' version of a big three, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Beal, haven't played a minute together this season. But I wanted to focus on the outstanding all-around excellence of Devin Booker. There were questions after Chris Paul left the team on who would be the point guard, who would be the playmaker for Phoenix this season. Well, Booker still isn't the point guard but he certainly has become one of the league's top playmakers this season. This season, Booker has increased his touches per game by 15 from 64 to 79, and yet his points per touch have declined significantly from last season. Translation, he's looking for his teammates more while averaging about the same in scoring average this season, 27 a game, as last season. 
I know if the Suns go on a roll, Kevin Durant will get a lot of attention for MVP consideration. But their most valuable player to this point for me has been Devin Booker. Yeah, I, D. Book has been phenomenal. Obviously, he's the longest tenured Phoenix Sun and uh, certainly takes that responsibility on his shoulders, not looking for the credit. And I think the thing that uh, I, I love about Devin Booker is he's willing to give the credit to his teammates. And he has done so uh, with Kevin Durant so far. And uh, as of the uh, practices they've had leading up to this Brad Beal debut, he's also been speaking very highly of Brad. So great things as far as leadership is concerned out in Phoenix with Devin Booker. As for my opening tip, following the Bucks Eastern Conference in-tournament semifinal loss against the Indiana Pacers, word leaked out that Bucks forward Bobby Portis called out head coach Adrian Griffin and his teammates for their lack of effort and some of the adjustments that were or were not made. While I think the fire, passion, and emotional communication is actually a positive sign for this Bucks team that is clearly not satisfied with how the season has begun, I find it very, very interesting that Chris Haynes, of all people, received the intel, leaving speculation on who the mole was within the Bucks locker room. While I'm just speculating at this point, it's worth noting that Chris Haynes was also the reporter who did the full feature article titled Inside the Messy Divorce Between Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. This is something I surely will continue to keep an eye on, but I'm having a very hard time not connecting the dots here with this latest report. If true, something even more interesting might be brewing in Milwaukee here soon. But for now, I will leave it at that. And with that, let's go ahead and get into our first quarter Um uh, LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA's first ever in-season tournament on Saturday night. Um, an impressive show by King James and his Lakers squad. Uh, first, I just kind of want to open this up for thoughts. And World B, I'll start with you on uh, what you thought of that championship game, maybe Vegas as a whole, and, of course, the in-season tournament. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about the in-season tournament uh, a little bit later in my closing thought. But, you know, as a whole, I thought it worked. Um, and I think the Lakers were the most impressive team throughout this thing. They were the best team. They deserved to win it. They absolutely dominated the competition. And, you know, some people say, well, they didn't face in the time leading up to the semifinals a strong competition or whatever. That may be true. But they also played some tough teams along the way, too. It was a good mix for them. And their defense was absolutely fantastic. It, the, what they did to the Pacers, the league's number one team defensively, was really – I never would have guessed that. They held until – less than 103 points per 100 possessions for a team that's averaging about 125 points per 100 possessions. That's a huge drop-off for them. And you know the Pacers were into it. You watched them in the semifinal. You watched them leading up to it. They were in it. They wanted to win it. They didn't half-ass it, uh, for lack of a better phrase. And so they they really gave it their all. And to have the Lakers shut them down like that was really impressive Going you know for them going forward. Bruce? You know, when the two best players in the game are on the same team, they usually win. When the three best players are on the court or on the same team, they always win. On Saturday, Anthony Davis had 41-20 and 20 with four blocks and five dimes, and he's the main reason that World B uh, was praising their defense. He was just an absolute monster. Uh, LeBron James had 24 and 11 boards with four assists. And then Austin Reeves, who's resurrected himself as of late, came off the bench for 28 points in 28 minutes. Wow. That's 93 points from three guys. Now, Tyrese Halliburton was very good with 20 and 11, uh, but Miles Turner really was not good. 
He only had 10 and 7 in 25 minutes. He followed out late in the game. Davis spent most of the night just absolutely torching him. And LeBron, when Davis wasn't torching him, was just driving right by him to the bucket. Uh, so that's why the Lakers dominated the paint. Miles Turner, who's been excellent this year, uh, he pulled a Zion Williamson in that game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this uh, in-season tournament as a whole, I mean, Adam Silver in the NBA League office has to be delighted with how this all played out. And the fact that LeBron James bought in ended up being kind of the prime example of, hey, he got to hoist up the first in-season tournament trophy. There's no better story for this group uh, when it comes to the league as far as setting the precedent than LeBron James. So this this was like a storybook ending for them. You know, if LeBron's buying in, the rest of the superstars to follow are certainly going to buy in. And I think this is something that is going to stick moving forward now that it's played out uh, this first year and uh, wasn't a bust. So uh, I think overall, I, I know uh, I, I certainly had my money on, on the Lakers covering that minus four spread as of tip off. I thought just it, it, as far as what the, the league would probably want, uh, you know, I thought LeBron would get some favor, favorable calls. But as both you pointed out, I mean, they just out executed the Indiana Pacers on both ends. You know, it didn't even come down to calls or anything that could have been political. So um I, I was really delighted with the entire uh, weekend in Las Vegas. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Now, moving forward, a question that I, I've seen posed on Twitter, now known as X, is, you know, are there any changes you'd like to see before next year's tournament? Bruce? Well, you know, most people feel it was a smashing success, and it and it certainly did add interest for some fans. Not for me, because I didn't really need any extra interest in the early season games. I'm like, here for them, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I don't need it, but, uh, I recognize it's here to stay. So let's try and, you know, pick a couple things. I did not like the point differential aspect. Call Agreed. me old school, but once a team is soundly defeated, I don't want to see guys be humiliated and have it be encouraged by the rules of the tournament. That's what happened with the Celtics and the bulls on November 28th. And even though we all know I'm a Celtics fan, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. So the number one thing I want to see is to have them figure out some other way to achieve what the point differential was supposed to achieve. Yep. World B, any changes you'd make? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I totally agree with Bruce. The point differential thing, watching a team like the Orlando Magic down here, uh, watching them beat up on, uh, I can't remember the team, whatever, but they dominated, and you wonder, are they going to run, run it up because they had to catch – the Celtics or whoever to get to that spot. And it puts the coaches in an uncomfortable spot because they, they don't want to be that, that, that guy. They don't want to be that kind of team. They don't want to run up. First of all, they know all that stuff is hubris. It comes back to bite you in the caboose there at the end. So why, why do that? But it really puts them in a bad spot. There has to be a way to, to change it up. And I'm sure they will over, you know, that's the biggest criticism I see going forward. Um, I'll be very interested to see if the courts return like they did uh, next season. We'll have to stay tuned. Will it be a different design? Did it work out well? I don't know. Um, and, you know, I, I thought in general it was a success. Uh, there are, but like Bruce said, I think the point differential thing uh, needs to be fixed. And, I mean, I the courts were hideous, but it didn't deter me from watching the games. I just criticized them. That's all. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it sounds like Adam Silver is a fan of the courts. He actually spoke on that and said that, you know, he, he kind of likes the, the, the different colors in, in schemes. So 
found that interesting and potentially means that we're probably not going to see many changes to those courts uh, come next season. But uh, I'm in total agreement with the both of you on the point differential. One idea that I saw thrown out there that I really liked is why don't we just go back to, say, uh, you know, tracking quarters one. I think tracking the quarters one for teams could be a big separator if people have identical records in their group mm-hmm. play. Uh, I think that would be a good one because it it still holds each team and every player accountable to try to compete quarter by quarter, no matter the score. Right. So I think that could be a, a better way to do this rather than like you pointed out, Bruce Missoula fouling Andre Drummond in a hack of Drummond situation up, I think 20 because Listen, he's got to look out for his team, and you know they're trying to compete for this tournament. So I don't blame the Celtics for what they did, but you know I, I think the league can do a better job, kind of fixing up these rules. You know, um, I think it's a little bit kind of bogus that the Lakers are going to do like a banner for this thing. <laughs> I guess it's going to it's going to look like one of those high school gym banners where it's like we were conference champions in. 96, 97, 9, and that's what this thing is going to look like because it's going to be one banner where they just kind of keep adding on to it. So to me, it's like high school gym worthy <laughs> type of a thing. Yeah. And the other thought I just had, just kind of as a final thought, LeBron James turns 39 years old on December 30th. Okay. Nobody can tell me that all things considered, he is not the most remarkable all around player in NBA history. You can say that Jordan was better. You can say Bill Russell was better. There has never, we have never seen anything like 39-year-old LeBron James, you know, dunking the ball from the top of the square, basically. I mean, just ridiculous. And all I can do is tip my hat to him. I felt for a long time he was the GOAT. uh, And while winning this tournament doesn't add to the GOAT legacy per se, but watching the way he went about his business in this tournament and basically all the time, um, you know, sorry, Jordan fans, you can, you know, at me all you want, but LeBron is the, is the GOAT. Hey, by the way, real quick, um, all this momentum that the Lakers have, let's see if it carries over because they play six of their next seven on the road. Their only home game of the next seven is, a, I think, a home game with the Knicks. So they and they have some they have some weak teams. I think they played the Spurs back to back. They open with the Mavericks, who won't have Kyrie, but they do get the Knicks. They do get some tough teams in the mix here. So let's see if that momentum carries over because geez, if they lose, they go two and five. What does this tournament mean all of a sudden? You know, they have to keep that yeah. momentum going to establish themselves as you know one of the teams in the the West. Yeah, solid point there will be. It should be interesting to see how the Lakers go ahead and uh transition their success in Vegas, you know, moving forward here with the regular season. Now, as we get into the second quarter here, let's discuss some surprises and disappointments so far this year. Uh, Bruce, I'll go ahead and start with you. I'll let you uh, pick a surprise team, or do you have a surprise player you'd like to talk about? Well, I'm going to go with my surprise team first, and we'll go through, I guess, the four categories. Can it be anyone other than the Minnesota Timberwolves? I mean, can it possibly be? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if all three of us had them, although World B might be on Orlando. But the T-Wolves are 17-4. and four. They're 10-1 and one at home. They're 7-3 and three on the road, okay? Best defensive team in the NBA. Number two in point differential behind Boston. Number four in rebound differential. And they have the best trio of bigs in the NBA with Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, and, drumroll please, Naz Reed. <laughs> There we go. There it is. <laughs> World B. 
Well, you know, the when we did our preseason show, that was my surprise team in the West. So I'm happy to see that they are uh, living up to my hype. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with Bruce. And there's no other real, you know, number one on the surprise list has got to be Minnesota. Uh, their defense is unbelievable. And they're not just number one. They're number one by a good margin, too. It's not they're battling with anybody. And the Rudy Gobert working with, with Carl Anthony Towns, they're outscoring opponents by, I think, like a dozen points per 100 possessions when the two of them are on the court. So even though Anthony Edwards is hurt, it doesn't mean they're going to have a ton of slippage with those two uh, working together. Yeah, the other team is, for me, it's Orlando. I, I mean, who thought who saw them as the second-best team in the East? Um, who saw them as the second-best deep defense in the league? And they have – we've talked about them. I've talked about them before. They have a really young team. They have a superstar in the making, and uh, Paolo Mancaro. Franz Wagner is a 20-point-per-game night, and they have a bunch of other guys who are role players with energy. There's a whole lot, and uh, Jamal Mosley is a terrific coach and gets those guys. He's an even, calm, even kill kind of guy. So he gets those guys ready to play. Uh, they had a little slippage here in the last week. They seem like they may be getting it back on Monday. So, you know, I think going forward, they're, they're going to be a fun team to watch going, you know, down the road. Yep. And uh, you echoed a lot of the thoughts I had there will be. I also put down the Orlando Magic for this one. I wasn't so sure Jamal Mosley was actually the coach that was going to be the one that got him to this point uh, to where they're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I thought he was maybe more the developmental coach to help develop these guys. And then they were going to probably let him go and bring in a more established guy. But he's really kind of change the uh the tune on that for his own future with the the magic and uh one thing that you know i will add to what what you had to say about the team is you know they they've struggled a little bit here recently but they've still been playing without markel fultz and wendell carter jr two impactful players that are starters starters, two starters so i think when you factor all that into the consideration as well i mean they've been certainly the biggest surprise out east and Bruce, yeah, I mean, no question, the Minnesota Timberwolves out west yeah. is uh, the, the team to go there. I'll, I'll say this. The Orlando Magic might be the deepest team in the league. If you look at how many players they play and how productive those yep. players are, they might have the deepest team in the league. Now, they may not have the best players, although Ben Carroll's looking like he's going to future all-NBA guy, but they have a roster of 10 players who can all play. Yeah. And, and they don't even have Jonathan Isaac on a nice nightly basis. And I think when Jonathan Isaac is healthy, he's a top five defender in the league easily. I think when he's on his game playing 100% healthy, he is he is nasty on the defensive end. They don't even have him rolling yet. If he can get rolling, watch out. Now, for our di- disappointing team, Bruce, who do you got? It makes my heart hurt to have to say this, but it's the 10 and 12 Golden State Warriors. They've got losing records at home and on the road. Five and six at home, five and six on the road. Draymond, with his stupidity, was suspended for five games. This team started five and one, but they're just five and 11 since November 5th. And Clay Thompson definitely looks like, I know he's in a contract year, but it's not going well for him. He's averaging his fewest points since his rookie season, just under 16 a game. So. Um, you know, I don't know if he's expecting the Brinks truck after this season, but may end up back in Golden State on a team-friendly deal. Yeah. World B? I don't think there's a team more disappointing than the Golden State Warriors here. We we thought this was the last possible hurrah for them to make some noise and make a run with this group before they'd have to make some decisions down the road. And they've really 
I mean, let's call it they flopped so far. Their defense is not good. Their defense at home is not good. Their defense in the fourth quarter where you win games, where you win championships, has been horrendous. It's not just bad. It's been horrendous. 125 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. It's unbelievable. Draymond Green, when he's on the court, they're giving up almost eight or nine points per 100 possessions more than when he's off the court. He's, wow. They're a better defensive team than when one of the greatest defensive players of this era is off the court than when he's on. How is this possible? Steph, and Steph is not having a bad year. Steph is doing Steph's stuff. He's not having an MVP-type season, but he's having an all-star-type season, and nobody else can can carry him. They're starting five. They're preferred starting five of Curry, Thompson, Green, Wiggins, uh, Looney. That's their regular starting five. They're getting outscored for 100 possessions. How, how can you win anything if you're starting five? A team that – a starting five that won a championship not too long ago can't get it done like this defensively. So they'll have to step it up, but that's a tough – that was a tough conference coming in. And there's some teams out there that don't look like they're slowing down. So I don't know what the future holds for this group. Yep. And uh, I'm going to shift my attention out east here. And my disappointing team is my Milwaukee Bucks. Despite their what? 15 and 7. Yeah. Despite their 15 and 7 record, a lot of those wins, at least to me, feel like fool's gold. Giannis and Dame have not established the two man pick and roll game we've all envisioned. Coach Griffin himself has admitted he still has a lot to learn and get worked out with his team. And things definitely started off rocky with lead assistant coach Terry Stotts leaving the team prior to the start of the regular season. Something that's pretty much unheard of. Uh, not something we've we, we've seen really before. And they just surely don't look like a championship caliber team to me at the moment. Um, I think this this in-season tournament lost to the Indiana Pacers. No, give credit to the Pacers. They're playing phenomenal basketball right now. Um, but just uh, the way they went out there and, and thinking, you know, could this Bucks team even beat the Pacers in a, in a seven-game series? Right now, I'm I'm not sure that's the case. I don't I don't I don't think that the Bucks could beat the Pacers in seven games right now as it stands, and that's a huge concern because when you look further up the list there in the Eastern Conference, you got the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. So. Um, got major concerns there. Ross, I have a question for you because you observed this team uh, more, uh, you know, carefully than, than uh, the others of us here. Um, yep. Are you starting to get a little bit of a David Blatt vibe on, on this whole Adrian Griffin situation? I mean, David Blatt was fired when the team was like 40 and 20, if I remember. Uh, and, Griffin's got a good record. I mean, you know, again, I know you're disappointed in how they're looking. Yeah. Are we are we feeling like he's going to make it through the season? I I'm starting to question it. I think obviously time is ticking with this team with uh, Damian Lillard being at the back half of this prime. Obviously, Giannis did decide to go ahead and take that contract extension. Um, before the start of the season to try to avoid any distractions. But then, of course, more distractions came out with uh, Terry Stotts leaving the team. And, you know, Chris Middleton, he, he is starting to ramp up the minutes and play better basketball. But, uh, you know, how many more years does he have left to be at the top of his game? So and, and Brooke Lopez right along there with him. So, you know, it's not a time to be patient with the head coach. And, uh, you know, if, if some of the things I said at the, the top of the show here, connecting the dots, I think Damian Lillard could be a guy that comes into town, gives uh, Adrian Griffin 30 or so games. And if he's not feeling the vibe, I could see him starting to really kind of voice his opinion because I, it's hard for me not to say Damian Lillard's not that guy that's uh, 
starting to say, hey, we've got the talent here. We just need a better leader uh, that, you know, putting us in the right positions, making the correct subs and uh, getting th- getting this thing back on track. So it, it, it's a really interesting time in Milwaukee. I mean, it was supposed to be for all the positive reasons, but, you know, you know as the season continues to progress here, uh, it's getting in- interesting for all the wrong reasons. So uh, I'm definitely concerned if you can't tell by now. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to some positives here. Let's talk about a surprise player uh, that we've seen this season. Bruce? Now, this one's going to probably cause a few people to scratch their heads, but I'm going with Aaron Neesmith of the Pacers. He doesn't have spectacular numbers, but he's a young guy doing winning things for a young up-and-coming team. He's only playing 24 minutes a game, but he's averaging a career-best 11 points. He's shooting 44% from downtown, and he provides 3 and D off the bench. And, I mean, he gives that team a jolt when he comes into the game. So, um, you know, former Celtic, and uh, I'm very happy for him. And he plays really hard. I mean, he's a great energy guy. So I'd say Rick Carlisle is, uh, has kind of cracked the code on getting the best out of Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, and, and Neesmith, give him some credit. He defended Giannis really nicely in that in-season uh, tournament game. Uh, I thought he did a great job keeping him in front and uh, you know making it tough on a guy as talented as Giannis is. So uh, he's a good defender for that group. And don't forget, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry, and don't forget, he used to play against Marcus Smart in practice all the time. And Marcus Smart was always a guy who punched above his weight, so to speak, when it came to guarding bigger guys. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, absolutely. Good point there. World B? Uh, I'm going to go back to the player I mentioned in my opening thought. I think Devin Booker is, has really uh, – he's been a surprise, not because he's his offensive game. We all know what kind of offensive game he has. Um, his ability to be a playmaker. We saw it last year, but nobody really took it seriously last year because when, when Chris Paul was out, there were only a few games sample uh, to look at him running the show. And during the offseason, when, we when they made the Beal trade – there was some question, well, who's going to take over? It's going to be Beal being the point, and I thought it was going to be Devin Booker running the show, and his assist numbers are all career-high level. Every metric you want to do for assists, his passes are career-high. Everything about him is stepping up his game while still scoring the same amount of points. It's really an impressive thing, and I, I ask, just like I said in the opening, if he continue, if the Suns go on a roll here and they're, you know, his numbers continue the way they are, I think he's going to be an MVP guy and not necessarily KD. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to see that as a as a D-Book fan myself. As for my surprising player, I'm actually going to go with a rookie, and that's going to be Dallas Mavericks center Derek Lively. I was extremely down on the rookie big men heading into this season. So far this year, the 19-year-old, just 19, is averaging just over 25 minutes a game as their starter, and uh, he's putting up nearly nine points a night, eight rebounds, and over a block and a half. Pretty, pretty good if you ask me. And uh, right now the Dallas Mavericks are 13 and eight on the season, which is good for third best in the West. And I think he's mm-hmm. got a lot to do with that. And I uh, want to give credit to uh, a rookie that uh, I, I was kind of bashing in the preseason has certainly surprised me with this play so far and kind of looking along the lines of like a Nick Claxton out in uh, Brooklyn with the Nets. I mean, he seems to be a very uh, – Good, good big man of the future for this Mavs team. And, of course, it does help to have two really good, talented guards in uh, Luka Doncic and, and Kyrie Irving. But, uh, I mean, he, he just continues to get better with time. And uh, I feel like the Mavericks can go as lively goes, just as much as Luka and Kyrie are going to do what they do best. 
Now for disappointing player, uh, Bruce, who you got there? Uh, I've got James Harden. He whined his way out of Philly. His scoring numbers have declined for seven straight seasons. You heard that right. His scoring numbers have declined for seven straight seasons. He's averaging his fewest assists since the 2013-14 season. And while the team has played a little bit better as of late, so, you know, if they keep it up, I may end up looking dumb for this, you know, call. But I'm still not convinced he's the guy to help them make the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Will be? Uh, for me, it's a guy who is mentioned in trade rumors that we'll get into a little bit later. But DeMar DeRozan's stock has plummeted. I yeah. mean, he's the, he's the, he used to be the king of the mid-range. And he's averaging or shooting less than 40% on mid-range jumpers. He's the worst shooter in the league. By percent in effective field goal percentage, he's the worst shooter in the league among players with you know uh, a minimum amount of shots. I think it's like three hundred or something. He's you know 46 percent effective field goal percentage. No wonder they are where they are. No wonder you know, the Bulls can't wait to get rid of him. The question is who wants him? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good point. As for my disappointing player, this one definitely pains me. Um, but it's Portland's Scoot Henderson. I'm sticking with rookies here for the disappointing players. And uh, I thought he was much more polished than what we've seen for so far. I didn't expect him to shoot lights out. But right now, he just isn't shooting the ball great from anywhere on the floor. He's just 33.6% from the field, 18% from downtown, and even 66.7% from the foul line. He's also currently averaging 3.3 turnovers a game with just 4.1 assists. So not a great start for Scoot Henderson. There were big things uh, in the plans for him. I obviously have not lost hope on that. I'll buy your stock if you're selling on Scoot Henderson. But uh, early season reports aren't good, and I have been quite disappointed with what we've seen so far. He's not even starting, is he? No, he is not starting for that team right now. But they, they didn't just get should... back Anthony Simons. Um, right. So that's that that's I mean, when he came him. back he wasn't starting before simon came back no. he they just stuck him on the bed he's shooting under 50 percent in the paint you can't yeah. how, how can you nobody can do that you and yeah. i the three of us can get at least one of every two shots in the paint in the hole oh yeah. maybe not Bruce, I, but. I, I i'd love to see us do that but uh i'd be down to try you know that could be fun <laughs> well as but, long as somebody but, like victor isn't trying to block me that's that'd be fine that, yeah yeah <laughs> so bruce i think you're on mute you're blocking yourself here. All right. We're still on. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we oh, go. Okay. Sorry about that. My bad. Yeah. You know, I'm, it's my <laughs> cough button. Anyway, yeah. I too had picked Scoot for rookie of the year for a lot of the same reasons you did, Ross. So, yes, I'm disappointed in him, but he's still a rookie. So, you know, sometimes there's a little growth curve there for him. <laughs> yep. 19 years old, plenty of time for him to turn his career around. And uh, Absolutely. I definitely think it's going to happen. But uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. We'll take a quick break and come back with you all for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter and the December 15th trade restriction is fast approaching. So I pose the question to you both. Who are some teams and or players you're keeping an eye out to try to make an early season trade move? World B, I'll start with you. Well, the team gets mentioned every year about this time for whatever reason are the New York Knicks. They have all these assets, so everybody thinks they're going to pick up somebody. And it's 
they probably will. It worked last year when they got Josh Hart, and that that turned out to be a very successful move. I don't think there's a superstar out there that's a game changer. Um, Zach Levine, notwithstanding, I you know I don't put him in that category. Nice player as he is, uh, Demar Derozan, like I mentioned before, is on the back end. Apparently, on the back end of his career, nobody told him um, he had to be. You know, he had to be on the front end because he was going to get traded. And then you know there. Uh, I keep hearing the Pacers want to make a move and I don't really know what they have to give up that would improve their team. All right. I like that one. That, the New York Knicks definitely are always uh, a hot topic around this time of year. I agree. Oh, with there's you something. There. All right. <laughs> Bruce. Well, I'm looking at the Chicago bulls as sellers. Okay. Uh, DeRozan as world B has pointed out has always had the reputation of being a midway mid range wizard. Uh, but his two-point shooting is definitely way down this season. The good news is that he is on an expiring contract for $28.6 million. So uh, the 34-year-old native of L.A., I think he'd actually look okay in a Lakers uniform if they could figure out Ooh. some way to get him. I think I think he could help those guys. Maybe not as a starter, maybe as a starter, but just as a guy who can still you know have, have a game where he gets some buckets. The other guy I'm talking about that I think is very available – is the aforementioned Zach Levine. But does anyone want him? I yeah. mean, I wouldn't. I mean, he's now in his 10th season, He's and he's going to miss the next three to four weeks with a foot inflammation. And he's owed, over the next three and a half seasons, like the rest of this season and the next three, he's owed $158 million, okay, over the next wow. three and a half seasons. He's a bucket getter, but he's never been a win getter. He's made the playoffs just once in his first nine seasons. I have no idea who'd want him or who he could even help become a winner because he's never won. Yeah, and it seems like there is no market for him right now. I think Brian Windhorse uh, recently came out and said, you know, right now there's really not a market. We can keep talking about him, but it uh, doesn't seem like too too many teams are interested on in taking on that financial obligation as well. Yeah. All the talk is coming out of Chicago, by the way. That's where yeah. the talk is. Yeah. It's not, coming out of the it's not coming out of New York. It's not coming out of L.A. Yeah. As for my team, I'm keeping an eye on the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors are currently nine and thirteen and a half game out of the last play-in spot in the Eastern Conference. Two names come to mind for me. First is OG Ananobi. Why, of course, uh, why I of course think that uh, a healthy Ananobi is an important part of the Raptors' chances. Let's be real. Where are they exactly going? I just don't see this team really competing right now. They're not going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference or make it out of the first round. So second question is, how much longer will OG's trade value be this high? I mean, I, I'm more of a, a business guy. I'd rather sell high on a guy that's not going to help me now and really start to build for the future with some of the pieces they have there. And uh, speaking of peak trade value, it's also a good time to bring up Pascal Siakam. I think it's time to sell and hit the proper reset button post Nick Nurse, allowing your first head coach, your first year head coach to build offensive sets and a defense, defensive system around the real franchise cornerstone of this team. And that is the former rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. So I think getting these two names out of town is only going to help them collect future assets and younger players. And I think Scotty Barnes should be the focal point for this team moving forward. And that's going to get them to where they really want to go sooner rather than later. So, uh, Keep an eye on the Raptors. I think they could be a, a team that could be in the mix here once some of these trade restrictions are up as well. So um, with that, 
let's go ahead and get to our uh, quick break, and we'll be back with you for a classic chart card challenge led by Bruce, and then I'll also provide you my best bets. Stay tuned. All right, so welcome to the fourth quarter of episode number 80, the Chris Carter episode of uh, 48 Minutes. This is the uh, always hilarious classic card challenge. I will give each of my colleagues five basketball cards and let them sound off and show you how smart they are about their team. I'm going to start with Ross Geiger. Ross, Tony Parker. Ooh. Just crafty, tough, Frenchman. Um, obviously a, a big role model for Victor Wembanyama and uh, someone who always gave my Phoenix Suns headaches. Michael Worldby Freer. That is Latrell Sprewell. Instant energy with the Knicks. Uh, he was a big reason why they made the run to the finals in 99. Crowd favorite. Um, you know, his time there wasn't, that long few seasons but his impact on the Knicks um in that run it's you know he is one of the legendary names in that uh on that franchise based on just that run to the finals Russ Geiger I got you Steve Ooh. Nash two-time MVP back-to-back years the leader of the running gun seven or second seven seconds or less sons uh, just an all-time great I mean just uh, anything, anything you could ever dream of as a kid growing up in Phoenix, watching him run your your offense. I mean, uh, it was explosion on a night to night basis as he spoon fed Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, and got open, clear three point looks for guys like Quinn Richardson and Roger Bell. All right, Michael, Zach Randolph, Zebo, another Nick legend. <laughs> that, uh, he actually he actually put up good numbers when he was with the Knicks. I, he only lasted a few seasons. I don't know why he didn't last longer, but um, yeah, he once he got it in gear, he was a real quality uh, big man in the middle and there, a double double guy, a twenty and ten guy every night for uh, really for the Grizzlies. He's one of the all time greats in in Memphis for his success. So he he carved out a really nice career. Um, I'm amazed his number's not hanging in the rafters at the garden, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ross. Now, this one is an announcer and a player, and you can take either way you want to go with this one. Okay. Big Perk, Kendrick Perkins. Oh, big ESPN personality, lots of hot takes. Um, remember him most for uh, his screening ability. He was a good screener on during those Oklahoma City Thunder days. Got a Set a lot of good hard screens for Russell Westbrook and KD, and uh, you know was the anchor down low along with Serge Ibaka for those uh, young Thunder out in Oklahoma City. All right, Michael Freer, Chris Mullen, Ooh. oh, one of the all-time great shooters, St. John's guy. When I grew up following the Big East in the mid '80s, it was him and Patrick Ewing uh, carrying the the conference. He was one of my favorite players. Uh, he was, you know, I was from New York, so you got to see him all the time. And then he, you know, went to uh, Golden State and became one of the all-time great shooters. The level of respect that players from that era show towards Chris Mullen is really unbelievable. The way they talk about him, he's a quiet guy, obviously, because uh, he doesn't, you don't hear much about him. But he is one of the legendary, you know, Hall of Famer, and he's one of the legendary uh, players, legendary shooters in this league. 
also one of the greatest human beings you will ever, ever, ever meet in the basketball family. Okay, he signed, next he signed the shoes for me at basketball camp in the mid-80s. I went to a basketball camp in upstate New York, and he showed up. I played on the team with his younger brother, Terrence Mullen, and he showed up one time and signed all these shoes. I had it for the longest time. He signed a pair of my sneakers, Chris Mullen. I don't know whatever became nice. of him, but I had him for a long time. And hopefully Chris Mullen is going to do this show one of these days because he's a friend and former colleague at ESPN. And like I said, I I just hope that we can get him. All right, Ross, this was one of Chris Mullen's teammates on that great Indiana Pacers team, Jalen Rose. Another former uh, ESPN guy. um, Had a short stint in Phoenix. Uh, One of the few guys that uh, I attended a Phoenix Suns practice as a high schooler. Asked him for a pitcher, and I actually got blown off. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, got a lot of good things about Sam, uh, about Jalen Rose in general, though. Obviously, part of the Fab Five had a tremendous career uh, throughout the NBA. Kind of bounced around, uh, and obviously was part of that um, Toronto Raptors team that Kobe Bryant dropped eighty-one on too. Let's not forget that. So another Nick uh, legend. You mentioned you didn't mention his time with the Knicks. Another Nick legend. How's his jersey not up in the rafters? Yeah, yeah. and Jalen Rose has been a staple for uh, some of the season out at Detroit Pistons games, and he's been quite active uh, working the sidelines just as a fan. So that's been kind of interesting to watch <laughs> there too. They could use him. All right, Michael. This is the Milwaukee Bucks version of Ray Allen. Maybe if Chris Mullen is in the top five all-time greatest shooters, Ray Allen might be in the top three. He was that good. Uh, great all-around player. Uh, LeBron doesn't win one of his titles in Miami without uh, Ray Allen in game six, one of the all-time clutch shots in NBA history to tie uh, game six off a rebound from Chris Bosh, who, uh, by the way, Greg Popovich still thinks he made the right move, not having Tim Duncan on the floor for that, but you know, whatever. Um, the great – uh, Greg Popovich, but you know he's a Hall of Famer, and like I said, if Chris Mullins one of the five best shooters in NBA history, Ray Allen's one of the three best shooters in NBA history. All right, Ross, saving the very, very best and most funnest for last for you. All right, I'm ready. Gilbert Arenas. Oh, I mean, he's got a, a pretty famous podcast now. I he's had some comments on some of the guests that have come on our show, and uh, we haven't received. Proper credit for that, but uh, if I'm able to get my guy Brandon Jennings on our show, who is a co-host of Arenas's podcast, uh, <laughs> um, we could have some fun there. But Agent Zero, obviously, big time star at both Arizona at the University of U of A, and also for the Washington Wizards, had some epic seasons for them. One of the biggest cold blooded killers down the stretch. I mean, he was never afraid to take the big shots, and a lot of the times he connected on those deep long-range three balls. So uh, an exciting player uh, to grow up watching. All right, World B. And for your final one, speaking of cold-blooded killers and people who probably still haunt your dreams, Reggie Miller. Oh, boy, a dagger here. Give me me a minute to get the knife out of my back on this one. Um, Maybe the greatest clutch shooter of all time. Um, That's not hyperbole. He's had uh, some of the most memorable playoff moments shooting-wise in NBA history. If Chris Mullen is a top-five NBA shooter, if Ray Allen's a top-three NBA shooter, well, then Reggie Miller's probably a top-two NBA shooter. I think that much of him as a shooter. I could have done without all his 
his antics. But you know what? Those are unbelievable rivalries. The respect factor between the Pacers and the Knicks back in the uh, 90s was immense. They didn't like each other, but they certainly respected each other. Reggie was a big part of that, the drama. Um, he was made for that stage and delivered probably more often than not, it's fair to say. Well, fellas, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and historical understanding of the game. Uh, and uh, we're going to be back in just a second to uh, wrap things up. All right, and we're back with Ross's best bets. And uh, I've got my focus on Wednesday night of this week as we have some potential revenge, revenge games on the horizon. Revenge? I say think again. We're going to start out with the Pacers at Bucks on Wednesday night. Yes, the Bucks will host the Pacers with their first crack at revenge post-tournament. But remember, this is a Halliburton homecoming game as he was born and raised in the state of Wisconsin. I see the Pacers' pace of play and scoring to be too much for Milwaukee to handle yet again. I'll take the Pacers' spread as underdogs, the over for total points, and per usual, count Giannis in for 30 points and Halliburton in for 20 points and at least eight assists. Second game on Wednesday night, another revenge one. Brooklyn Nets at Phoenix Suns. Both Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges return to Phoenix to face the Suns. To no one's surprise, I don't know the injury report for the Suns, so let's just stay focused on the Nets for this parlay. I like Mikel Bridges to score 20 points, Cam Johnson to knock down two triples, and Nick Claxton to go out and grab 10 rebounds. And that is tonight's best bets. And we'll get into our final thoughts here, and we're going to start out with you, Bruce. Thank you, Ross. Mark Cuban is one of the greatest living Americans. Before he bought the Dallas Mavericks in 2000, he made a fortune as a tech entrepreneur and has turned his $285 million investment in the Mavs into a franchise worth $3.5 billion, with a B. When he agreed to sell the team to the widow of Sheldon Adelson, a major Republican donor, Cuban, who is a Democrat, showed us what bipartisanship was all about. And since he's retiring from Shark Tank, he's going to have some extra time on his hands. So... Mark Cuban needs to run for president. Ooh. One of Cuban's best traits is his moral compass. When COVID shut down the NBA in March of 2020, he immediately told all the employees in the arena he's going to keep paying them. Okay. When he was on Shark Tank all those years, he was exposed to some of the most creative young minds in the country and related to them beautifully. He treated them all with dignity. And even when he didn't invest in their companies, he tried to offer constructive feedback. He's a positive life force and has that elusive quality called emotional intelligence, which is in very short supply these days. And hey, look, it's not like a reality show personality could never become president. And promise you, I'll take a shark over an apprentice any day. Nice. Well done there, Bruce. Will be. Thank you, Ross. So say what you want about the format of the NBA in-season tournament. Say the court designs were hideous. Say it was silly for fans to get excited about players caring more about these games than just an ordinary regular season game. Say the nonstop promotion by channels like ESPN and TNT over this event was over the top. Say it's silly for the Lakers to treat this tournament victory like some playoff championship and hang a banner up in the rafters, although I suspect this decision was made after some suggestions from the NBA. Uh you could also say this about the tournament. It worked. 
I didn't expect it to work, but it worked. And the reason it worked was the players were on board. You could see it in their play. You could see it once they got to the got to Vegas, both when teams won and when they lost. Going forward, this event figures to be around for a while, but it will only stay relevant as long as the players get behind it. And that, not the tie-breaking format or court design or anything else, is where the attention should be on the league. Well said there will be, and i got to give the league credit and the teams that were out in Vegas a ton of credit as well. I was looking forward to some content on X of some video feeds of players out at clubs and whatnot, and we really didn't see that, as you said. I mean, these guys were fully focused on the tournament, it seemed like, and uh, it was great to see for the NBA. As for my final thought, last week Steve Kerr complained post-game that he couldn't hear anything inside the Suns arena because it was like a club. It was like a South Beach club in particular, and it was thumping techno club music. Pretty much a direct quote there. Well, the Suns in arena, arena DJ had some fun with this complaint and actually mixed Kerr's quote into his pregame music set uh, for the next game. And of course, while also playing, thumping techno club music. If you haven't watched that clip yet, you need to go see it. While I certainly understand the complaint from a coaching perspective, I have to give kudos to the Suns DJ who's simply doing his job and deciding to have some fun with the complaint itself. The clip went viral, and I must admit, I got a great kick out of it. To this day, if I watched it right now, I would immediately start laughing. And uh, it was a great enter entertainment by the Suns and their DJ. And uh, I'm here for all the uh, sideshow entertainment that goes on in NBA arenas. So uh, well done there, Phoenix and the, the DJ out there. I thought that was uh, tremendous work. And uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.